0: Secondly, we're going to be love people. Love people. There's this story. I'm doing a wedding this Saturday. There's a story of a, a wedding where there's a pastor, and he's uh, talking to the bride, and she's so nervous. She's just, like, shaking and nervous. And so he's concerned about her, and he thought, oh, you know, i got to try to encourage her somehow. So he was thinking of different ways he could encourage her other than just what he was doing. But, and then he thought of this. He, he thought, oh, I'll, I'll re- get someone to read this scripture during the wedding ceremony. And the scripture he was going to have read was 1 John 4.18, which says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So he thought this would be great just to speak over them at their wedding. And so he went to one of the grooms and he said, hey, can you, you know, when I point to you, can you read that passage, and the groomsman was like, okay, yeah, yeah, and he wasn't a Christian, and he didn't know the Bible very well, but he's like, okay, okay, I can do that, and so, um, so they got up, and they were having, she was very nervous, and they started the wedding, and then the pastor said, all right, now at this point, I, there's a very important thing we want to have said, and then he pointed at the groomsman, and the groomsman opened his Bible, and he started to read, but he didn't know there's a John and a First John, and so instead of reading First John 4.18, he read John 4.18, which says, The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. And she cried. No, this is a made-up story. Don't panic. Some of you are like, that poor girl. Perfect love drives out fear. That was the message he, he was wanting to have said. And that's the message for us. Perfect love drives out fear. We're not a people marked by fear, but by love. Because we're his and he is love. Saint John of the Cross says at the end of the day you will be examined in love what a reassuring picture that we would be examined in love that it's about love Paul says it's a labor of love it's a labor prompted by love the NIV says not a labor of guilt not a labor of duty not a labor of ego I said the other week fueled by love and then I told you made up stories about running out of gas do you remember that fueled by love. This is the labor we're talking about. Why do we underestimate the power and the importance of love? I don't, I don't think we could talk about it too much in the church or anywhere else. The power of love. Paul says it's the greatest of these out of faith, hope, and love. Paul says the greatest is love. The greatest. God is love. And we were made in love and we are set free in love because of love he came. Gerald May says this, thus every part of us is at its core a desire for love's fulfillment. Human beings are two-legged, walking, talking desires for God, whether we know it or not. Ultimately, it is only God's very self that can truly satisfy our deepest desires and liberate our love for all life. And if I could summarize my problem, maybe it's best if I use the, the example of freedom. So often I think of freedom, like for me to find freedom means that I can do whatever I want whenever I want. All these other things are, are restricting me from doing whatever I want whenever I want. If, if I really had that, I'd be free. That's what I think and I think that's what a lot of people think. The problem is real freedom has boundaries around it that keep you safe. <laughs> And healthy and alive not just doing whatever I want whenever I want which actually could kill me and restrict my freedom totally in taking my life and so real freedom does have boundaries around it and love is the same way we picture love a certain way so we go after what we think love is and often it's it's um, pleasure or companionship or the feeling of attraction. We say, oh, that's love. Or happy feelings, like, oh, that's love. That's what it is, and so that's what I'm going after, and if I don't find it here, I'm going to go find it over there. And we're chasing after this thing that we think is love. Usually it doesn't have anything to do with food scraps and compost. And yet, one could argue that is more about love than some of these other things real love has more to do with sacrifice I think than it does to do with our warm fuzzy feelings what if just go with me here what if the pain and the struggle and the toil the labor participate in some way together to free me from my attachments to all of these things that I think are love so that I can experience the real love of God? What if God is working in my life in some way, sometimes, to set me free from these attachments so that I can be truly free to experience him, to love him wholeheartedly? See, love saves us. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the story of God. This is the story of God, that, that before we knew him, while we still perceived him to be our enemy, we thought he was our enemy, he was against us, he's holy and separated and he's that judge and he's, a, he's our enemy. When we still thought that, God was coming to us coming to find us, where we were stuck in the mire, imprisoned by our sin, trapped, not free at all, thinking we were free. And then Jesus gives himself for love, giving himself for us. Humbly, as a human, he comes. And then he gives his body to be broken so that we could be whole, healed, complete, He gives his blood so that we could enter boldly through the curtain that's torn into the Holy of Holies, into that throne room before the living God and put out our pleas and our petitions before him, knowing that he hears us, his children. So when you experience a love like this, it will change you. It has to change you love changes us and love is also the outcome of our transformation there's a kid's story called the velveteen rabbit was one of my favorites when i was a kid and it's about this stuffed rabbit that um, wants to become real and sees like the real animals hopping around and he wants to become real actually the the subtitle is um how toys become real so it's like the original toy story i guess and, um, and so that's the story. So the, the, the stuffed rabbit goes to the old wooden horse in the nursery, the wise old horse that's always been there, and goes to this um, horse and says, you know, how do I become real? What do I need to do? And they have this conversation. So this is the conversation they have. The skin horse says, real isn't how you're made. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real and does it hurt asked the rabbit most oh, sometimes said the skin horse for he was always truthful when you are real you don't mind being hurt uh does it happen all at once like being wound up he asked or bit by bit Oh, it doesn't happen all at once said the skin horse you become it takes a long time and that's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. Most of your hair has been loved off. You become loose in the joints Your eyesight goes. What if the outcome of transformation is love? What if it's that we become more real, more loving, more human as we go? We experience more and more of the transformation of God and it it changes us. And over the course of our life, our journey, maybe we get to the end and we don't look like much. And yet, to those who know, who are in on it, it's beautiful. They would say, that's the beautiful transformation. Not of holding on to your youth somehow in an outward form, but to go the distance and be transformed by the heart. Philippians 1, 9 to 11, Paul says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. That's his prayer. More and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you will be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So as love abounds more and more, we're able to discern what's right. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what's the right thing to do here. Let your love abound more and more. Dive into the love of God and you will find things become more clear. I I, I don't know about the righteousness of God in my life. I don't see it happening. I I don't see fruit. I, I don't think my life is producing anything. What do I do? Let your love abound more and more. And as you dive into the love of God, as you abide in him, Jesus will begin to shine through the fruit of righteousness. The love we always wanted is found in Jesus. And we will be a Jubilee people. Not everyone, but we will be. There was a, a guy named David Egner, and he took a cruise along the fords of Norway for his 50th anniversary, and as they were journeying, they stopped in these different towns, you know, as you do when you're cruising, you stop different places, and so they'd go and visit these different sites and churches, lots of churches they saw. And in this one particular town, they stopped and the tour guide proudly described this one 12th century church as still a working church. And then, so David, this guy puts up his hand, he's like, what what do you mean by a working church? What does that mean? And she said, well, she described back in the day when there was state-appointed churches and pastors that they would have these pastors go to these churches in all these different coastal places and, and they would just go and be there and no one would show up for anything and the pastor would take his paycheck and he was the pastor for that area and that was kind of it. The, there was no church really to speak of, just the, the guys there and the buildings there. That's it. But this one church that she described this way, she said it's been faithfully holding worship services and actively serving the lord for for almost a thousand years a thousand years that church has been there alive in some way and working (laughs) collect your paycheck pay your dues check the boxes just believe the right things and you know but what's a working church what does that mean what does that look like and again our question is what would it take for paul To come in here and say, I remember before the Lord your work of faith and your labor of love. What would that mean? What would it mean for us to to be doing or what would our church have to look like? Are we an, an exhausted, overburdened, overworked church? A tired, beaten down church? Like, see our labor. Paul, can you see our labor? We're dying here. Like, we're about to die. Is that, is that what it would mean? Or would it mean a church that's been built by love? A church being built by love? And then I have to ask the question about our values. How are our values, redemptive news, relational journey and outward mission, how do these things, how are they expressions of a labor of love? And I thought again, that's not very hard. If I said, How is the redemptive news a labor of love? Well, very clearly in our culture of tolerance, I don't think that a message of one God is very welcome. I don't think people like that message. And that God sent Jesus as the Redeemer for our sins, that the stuff we've done wrong against God, that He alone can save us, that we need Him desperately and daily. I don't think that's a welcome message culturally. Maybe individually, people welcome the message. But as a culture, I don't think they love that. It's hard. And living redemption in everyday life is hard too, actually. Being willing to wade through people's mess and brokenness, my own and other people's to invite in the prodigals and to walk in grace as we're being transformed at all different speeds and ways. Not to hide from each other, but to invite and welcome one another into our lives, into our journey, into our story. And I was thinking also, serving on Sundays is hard. (laughs) It's, It's three and a half years in. It's hard to ask people to serve. And it's also hard to do it. We all are tired. Lots of people have been serving since the very beginning and they're tired. We're tired. And yet, we gather to proclaim the redemptive grace over one another. And so we need to gather and we need to do certain things. We need to set up and we do prayer and communion and music and greeting and hospitality and we have Jubilee kids. We have lots of things happening to facilitate us being able to gather together. Why? Because we've been saved and set free. Because it matters. Matters in our lives and to the world. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We implore you. There's There's a struggle there. As we implore you, be reconciled. God has come. Secondly, how is the relational journey a labor of love? Um, I would say loving one another can be a labor. Sometimes it's easy. There are certain people that are easy to love. You're like, oh, yeah, it's so great. And other people, it's harder. And in Acts, the picture of the early church is like people eating together and caring for one another, and they share all their stuff, all their stuff, and then they provide for the needy, and they're gathering weekly and seeking transformation, and it's like, wow, that's so cool. And then when you and I try to do it in real life, we're like, wow, this is so hard what, you want my stuff? <laughs> or whatever. Like, well, I'm supposed to get come again next week? What? Like, it's hard. There's a labor to it. It's challenging. And relationship is, can be hard. It's not easy. Caring for one another is hard. Forgiving each other. Being known is hard. The risk and pain of love and care. You know, people we love leave that we've invested in and cared for. People we love hurt us. People we love disappoint us and let us down. And it's hard. So why do we do it? We do it because we're compelled. We died and we rose. That's the story. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. What a beautiful summary. The love of Jesus compels me. So, when I'm not feeling compelled, should I just try harder or should I go back to the good news? The love of God and how it's changed and transformed me, and that we don't live for ourselves anymore, we live for him. And lastly, how is the outward mission a labor of love? Because love doesn't just change how we treat each other. It changes how we treat the world, how we see the world. And I would say that caring for the world is a labor of love, like food scraps. (laughs) Martin Luther said, if I knew the Lord was coming tomorrow, I'd plant a tree today, which is a funny thing to do unless you believed that you were making a difference when you care for the world, when you do the garden bed, or you transform something, or for us, there's lots of ways, weeding gardens, or lending our pipe and drape to the school, or, or our sound system to the elementary school battle of the bands, where they played ACDC songs on our sound system. I turned it off as soon as they started doing that. No, I'm just kidding. Walking with For Women Care in a few weeks, How are we making the world better and more beautiful? How are we transforming it? How are we investing? Because it's not always easy. And loving the world is a labor of love because when Jesus says love your neighbor, he doesn't just mean these people. He means everyone, the diversity of everyone. That's what he means and that's why the story he tells is a story about Samaritans and Jews who don't like each other, hate each other. That's the story. The picture is everyone, homosexuals, transgender, Buddhists, Muslim, atheists, liberals, and even conservatives, them too. All, all of us, brothers and sisters of the human race, brothers and sisters in some way that we could say, we're gonna, we're gonna love the world with the love of God. It doesn't matter how different we are. We can love, we can love. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, like the outside. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And in verse 19 he says, he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Why do we labor in love in the world? Is because we're God's ambassadors. We represent him to the world. Ambassadors of love. And so in conclusion, Christians serve sacrificially, energized by the love of Jesus. We're labor people, people who don't shirk from toil or that challenging kind of work. And if we copied the lives of the apostles, this would be true of us as it was true of them. Jesus sets our example, and if we follow him, there's a big reward, way better than chocolate bars. Secondly, we're love people. We are made in love, for love, to love. It's the greatest thing. The goal, the outcome. And so if we dive deep to become love, we do so experiencing the love of God. We find it in him and through him, in Jesus. And we're Jubilee people, which means the redemptive news and the relational journey and the outward mission, all are labors of love in some way. To live them out, we'll need to know and walk with Jesus to receive what he has to be able to give it to the world. Let's pray.